Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never, ever ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Also, please don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots In. Well, sorry guys, last week I had to take the week off, a little busy around the house and with the real life, and I also ran out of interviews, but I was able to record three last week, so I've got enough to kind of get us through the end of the season, I think, uh, at least until the Stanley Cup Finals, and I know a few weeks ago I did kind of a State of the Union address where I talked about kind of the future of the podcast, and I think I finally kind of figured out the plan that I'm going to do and kind of my idea is we're going to go ahead and keep this thing going, but we're going to stop for a few months. I'm going to stop doing podcasts probably for June, July, and August, and then start back up in September when training camp starts up. And the reason I'm going to do this is there's not really much news to talk about or really hockey history to talk about during the summer. Plus this will give me a chance to kind of take a little bit of a break and bank some interviews. So we're definitely going to finish out the month of May. I've got, as I said before, I recorded three interviews this week, and I've got a few more coming up in the next week or two that I'll go ahead and record. And then after that, I'll take June, July, and August off. Although I say that, but make sure you're subscribed and also following us on social media at Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots in, because I have a feeling there's going to be some surprises over the summer. I'll probably drop one or two episodes here and there just to kind of keep people interested. And plus, uh, hopefully I'll bank so many interviews, we'll, we'll have enough that I can kind of do that. So that's kind of the, the plan for the future of this podcast. I've been blown away with the amount of support I've gotten during the first year, but I want to keep this thing going. It seems like as people are enjoying it, and as long as you guys are enjoying it, I'll keep doing them. And going back to why I originally started the podcast, I wanted to talk about players that maybe the everyday fan wasn't familiar with. And uh, we've got a great one this week, and that would be Brett Harkins. Uh, Brett played in the National Hockey League for four teams. He played for Florida Panthers, the Boston Bruins, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Did I say four? I think I meant three. Uh, I should probably learn how to count. But he had four different stints in the NHL, I guess I should say. He had two stints with Boston, one in 94-95 and one in 96-97. And we cover that 96-97 stint with the Bruins. And the Bruins were kind of in a delicate state at this point. This would end up being the first season that they missed the playoffs in decades. But Brett shares some great stories, great stuff. He's a great talker. He's still involved in the NHL to this day. He's actually a scout with the Boston Bruins. So as you can imagine, he's pretty busy right now. But we were able to sit down a week or two ago and get into kind of his background. And he tells a story about coming up through the ranks, playing with Ray Bork, playing for the Bruins, Harry Sinden. He gets into a lot of good stuff during part one. And then in part two, we pick up uh, where part one leaves off, which is during the 1997 season. And if you're a Boston Bruins fan, you'll probably probably remember that one of the biggest trades at the time in years took place during the 96-97 season when the Boston Bruins traded for Jim Carrey and um, Jason Allison and Anson Carter. We get into a lot of that during part two. So go ahead and enjoy part one. We'll catch you on the flip side after the interview. You started off with the Boston Bruins originally and had a quick cup of coffee with them during the lockout season. Uh, you played one game with him and then signed the following year with Florida. And it sounds like things didn't really work out with the Panthers. 
And then you wound up back in Boston. How'd you end up back in Boston? Again? So the whole, I, I say this to everybody whenever I talk to anybody, the, every game that I've played in the NHL, I owe to Doug McLean. So the New York Islanders obviously didn't, they wanted to sign me after my sophomore year of college. I had a really good sophomore year and then I had a really bad junior year. So then my senior year, they just didn't want to, I just wasn't ready after my sophomore year. I like might've weighed 150 pounds. I wasn't ready for pro. Oh, yeah, no. So I, I went back and so whatever. So had a good senior year, but by that time the Islanders had moved on and whatever, which was fine. So I was, like I said, I lived in Detroit, skated in Detroit in the summers, obviously. So with the, just living up there, I played juniors. And so I skated with all the guys up there anyway. So what happened was Doug ended up bringing me into Adirondack. I just on a, they got to try out, you know, because I, I had told myself that I wasn't going to play in the East Coast League if it was going to be the – because the East Coast League isn't what it used – is back then, obviously, isn't what it is now. Right. You know, obviously, if it was th- it was back then now, I would definitely have said, okay, I'd play in that league because guys come from there all the time that make it. But at that point, I was like, I'm not playing in the East Coast League, so if I don't make it here – I'll just re- figure it out. You know, I, was, I went to school for sports management, so I just figured I'd get into management or whatever. So, so it was like similar to the Southern Pro League, the ECHL was. It, it was yeah. kind of like a rung down. The next from step down. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The next step down. So what ended up happening was Detroit. So Detroit Adirondack signs me just just to a just a PTO that first the first and then what happened was that first weekend. I had a really good weekend in Adirondack. I don't know. I had, I don't know, five points on the weekend. So Doug McLean comes up to me and says, we'll sign you for the rest of the year. And they were loaded. I mean, that team was loaded. I mean, that, that team that won the 96 Cup with the Red Wings, I lived with all those guys like Marty LaPointe and everybody. So so what ended up happening was Doug, at the end of that first year, Doug was 99.9% sure he was going to the, to the Bruins, whether it was going to be in some sort of a capacity, whether it was going to be the head coach in Providence or – like OC, maybe it was OC's assist, maybe assistant GM or something. So Doug had said he was going to sign with, go to the Bruins, and I was like, okay, perfect. Then I'll, then I'll sign with the Bruins. So um, I end up going there, obviously, and Doug ends up not going there. Ends <laughs> up going to Florida, of course. Um, which, which was fine. I mean, it was fine, you know, because I, I, I mean, I played in the league and I had a good, good rookie year in the league, so it wasn't a big deal, you know, and I, that was fine, you know. So. He ends up telling me that, you know, he's going to be there. He ends up not going there. He goes to Florida. So that whole year, obviously, I had a really good year in Providence that year. I only got called up because uh, Smoke, who was a good buddy of mine, Brian Slinsky, because he, actually he's from, he's from Toledo, which is far from. So I've known Smoke forever. So Smoke had gotten hurt. So what happened was I get, got called up and played that one game, which is the only game I've ever played with Cam, actually, because Cam was just yeah. – that was the only – because Cam actually ended up having to retire after that. But so I played that one game, and it was – you know, it was – it was a little bit surreal, obviously, being my first NHL game, and it was on Long Island, the team that had drafted me, blah, 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 and the hotel was right there across from the rink. So a little bit nervous, but we had a great team in Providence that year, so I didn't feel a big part of that team, obviously, in Boston because I wasn't there. I didn't know those guys. You know, I was in the middle of a playoff run because the season ran a little bit longer in the minors because of the lockout, right? So the NHL, it was just basically a regular season, end-of-the-season game for the Bruins, and I was too locked in with what I had going on in Providence for it to be – you know, for it to be a little bit, you know, like your first NHL game, you know. So that ends up happening that year. Had a good year, like I said. And then, obviously, in this business, it's who you know. Right, I and know. So, so Doug ends up contacting me. You know, he's he ends up contacting me, and he's like, well, do you want to sign in Florida? And I said, yes. You know, I just, I mean, it, the, he was the guy that liked me, and I was going to kind of follow him around. So I ended up going to Florida. Um and and I didn't. Pl- I had an unbelievable year in the minors that year, 
but Florida was loaded. I mean, they didn't, that's the year they went to the Stanley Cup final. So it was like, Doug would call me throughout the year. He's like, Brett, don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. We just don't have anybody hurt. It's tough to Obviously, crack a lineup with like that. Well, yeah, yeah, we're in first place. We're hitting all of our segment bonuses. I mean, I only played, I think, eight games that year for Florida, but I was probably there for about three months. Oh, wow. Just just never really, you know, there was no, and, and some three of those games I played, I only played in the first power play. Didn't play any, didn't play regular shift. They just played on the first power play unit, which is kind of funny, but yeah, it is real. It is, How often does that it happen? Is it, is. it is what it was. I was a power play guy and that's, that's was I was at my whole life. So, so yeah. So then I went to Florida obviously. And, and I liked Doug, Brian Murray and I didn't get along very well. It wasn't nothing just, you know, we just did whatever mm-hmm. it was. It was, and Doug liked me, but Doug isn't making the decisions because Doug was the coach, you know, Brian's making the decisions and Brian, you know, and what it ended up happening was, Stevie Casper was my coach in Providence. Well, ah. Cass got the job. Cass got the job in Boston. I know Cass really liked me. So I was like, okay, perfect. Now I got to start worrying about myself and just figure it out. So, you know, they, they had their good thing going in Florida. And I was like, well, Cass will give me a chance if I go to Boston, you know. So that so that's kind of how I, the reason that I ended up coming back to Boston was because of Casper. Going back to something you said, you said you got to play one game with Cam Neely. Yeah. I'm assuming that must have been special for you. Did you grow up watching Cam and, and kind of idolizing him? Not the way that I played. I was more of a Gretzky guy or an OT guy. You know, for me, it was more Adam Oates. You know what I mean? Like, OT, I played the same way OT, same way OT played. You know, I was more of a cerebral guy. You know, played power play, good hands. You know, that, I was more of that kind of guy than obviously a Cam Neely kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I knew of, knew of him, and obviously, how could you not know of him, right? Right. Obviously. I just was so, curious, just because you brought his name up in particular. Yeah. Yeah, just because it was only the one game, you know, that I was that I did play with him, because then he had to retire the next year or whatever. But um, so yeah, that was the only that's the reason that I brought it up, just because it was just the one game. Because obviously, if he'd have been there two years later, I'd have been, you know, we'd have played a lot more games together. So, going into that camp training yeah. camp for the ninety six ninety seven season, one of the hot yeah. topics was Bill Ranford, the team's starting yeah. goaltender, would not report to camp unless he was given a new contract by Bruins GM Harry Sinden. And Harry Sinden is a guy that I feel like when I think of an old school hockey guy, that's what I yeah. think of. Yeah, yeah, you dealt with him personally, and and I'm sure he was a tough negotiator. Do you remember? And I don't know if it was you that did it or your agent, but do you remember negotiating with him and what he was like? Uh, my agent would have done that. You know what I mean? So, and, and being a smaller guy like me, like my agent would have been dealing with all of them. And most likely, my agent was probably dealing with more with OC mm-hmm. than with Harry. You know what I mean? Because I was going to be one of those guys that was going to be an up and down guy. Although, if you look at our roster that year, obviously a ton of guys played. Oh, God. You know, was... so, many, so many guys on our roster. You had I, six goalies I alone. Went, I went back and looked at it. I was like, holy cow. I look at all these guys that played that year. Yeah. So, there were um, a ton. And Harry's still around. You know, I go back, because obviously with me working for the Bruins now, I go back, you know, for our development camp, and Harry still comes around. You know what I mean? And But I think it's, he's, I mean, he's obviously a huge part of Boston hockey, Boston Bruins hockey. And so it's, I mean, with what he's done with, you know, being around, and the, obviously if you look at all the, the winnings and all the cups and everything, he's been a part of every one oh, of every them. Every single one of them, yeah. Yeah, every single one of them. You know, like I said, he's still, he's still. What is he an ambassador? Is that what he's called now? I don't even know what he says. Something he's called. He's just one of those guys they like having around, probably, just because there's so much history that he's been a part of. He's a smart hockey guy. Yeah, and he's a smart hockey guy, obviously. So, training camp opened on September 8th, and at the Bruins camp was highlighted with several rookies, including Jonathan Aiken, Doug Wood, PC Duran, and Kirk Nielsen. But noticeably absent was a lot of the veterans who were participating in the World Cup of Hockey, which this was the first World Cup that they'd had in probably a few years. Yeah. Did, did guys in camp pay any attention to that World Cup, or were you focused on just training camp and, and the Bruins? Well, a guy like me was more focused on having a good camp. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For me, it was trying to make the team. You know, and then there was guys because, 
like you said, there was a lot of young guys that year, so everyone was there was a lot of spots that were available because the team wasn't very good. That obviously, you know, so there was some guys that were trying to earn contracts, you know. So it was uh, I was mostly focused on having a good training camp. Shortly after camp opened, the entire team traveled to the University of New Hampshire for an inter-squad scrimmage where you had a goal and an assist while playing for the black team as the black team overcame the white team by a score of 6-2. to two. In an NHL training camp, for a guy like you, who, as you said, is trying to crack the lineup, how important are these inter-squad games? Well, I will be the one to tell you that when it all broke, when it all broke, those games are big for me. Obviously, anytime you can, you know, you, you have to do something to get noticed, right? In right. Because that's that's what it is. I, I tell kids that all the time. Do something to get noticed. If you're a tough guy, if you're a fighter, fight. If you're a scorer, score. Do what you're supposed to do to get noticed, you know. And, and I thought I had an unbelievable training camp, and I actually did that. I did, like, basically had a, an unbelievable camp, and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy when I got sent down. I, I was shocked when I read that you got sent down. Yeah, I I wasn't happy. I got sent, I got sent down, and it, you know, and and that happens. You know what I mean? But it's right. you know, it's one of those guys where they all, you know, it's it's back then. It's so much different. It was you know, you you couldn't. The, now it's the kids are entitled, you know, and back then I knew I just had to go down there and work hard, you know, and do my thing and try and get back up. And, you know, it was, I knew Steve Casper liked me, you know, and so I knew, but, you know, we had, a, you know, there was a lot of guys that could play that were down there, like Johnny's Watt, Timmy Sweeney. I mean, there's guys, Sandy Moger. I mean, there's guys that were on that team that, you know, ended up playing some games in the NHL, you know, playing for some years. So, but I was, as you said, I was really surprised. It seemed like you had a rock in preseason. Did anybody give you any feedback as to why you didn't make the team out of camp? No, I mean, basically all they would say was, you know, the, 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 the big thing was, okay, I'm a top six guy, right? I'm mm-hmm. a top six forward. Well, you have Stumpy and you have Otzi. So what are they going right. to do? Put me on a checking line? Yeah, you're, you're right know, behind those guys. They're already there. You know, I wasn't going to take Stumpy's spot. I wasn't going to take Otzi's spot. So, you know, back then it's changed now. I think back then it was top six, bottom six. Mm-hmm. Your bottom six lines were checking lines and fighters, right? So... I wasn't going to be that guy, obviously. That wasn't the style of game that I played. You know, I wasn't very good defensively because I was all offense, you know. So that was, you know, so it was it was kind of, you know, it was kind of telling point of my whole career, you know, was most of those guys top six or top two centermen, basically, because I didn't play wing. You know, those are going to be high picks or guys that are going to play a lot of games in the NHL. And they're pretty you know, much locked I, in. Yeah, they're pretty much right, locked unless in. Unless I was going to bold my game and do something different, which – I wasn't going to because people didn't do that back then. You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. They didn't have guys where, okay, well, you're a scorer, but you know what? You got to learn. You know, no, I didn't have anyone to tell me that. You know what I mean? You got to go just become a checker first and then make it as a checker and maybe you can move your way up the lineup. You know, and I, that back then it was just like, I'll just go down and I'll do my thing and, you know, and try and get my points and, you know, and play as good as I can defensively. And, you know, that's what I did. So. And pray that you get back up there. And pray, yeah. Pray, I mean, you don't pray for injuries, you know what I mean? But, you know, if, if the power play's struggling and they need something or, you know, something like that, then, then maybe you get a chance. There's one player that was in this camp that I have to ask about, and I'm kind of fascinated by him with, with him because I understand in junior, a lot of people predicted he'd be the next Bobby Orr, and it just didn't really work out for him. Do you remember or, or have any memories of playing with Brian Fogarty during this camp? Uh, just a little bit, because I had heard all about that folks too. From because he was in didn't he play at Niagara? Yeah, he played somewhere in the OHL, and he had like 115 points yeah. as a defenseman one year. Yeah, yeah, and I knew that. He, I mean, he's a guy that I look at it that if you look at today's game, the way he could skate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then you could think um, he could really, really, you know, he could really, really be a game changer in the way the game is played now because he could really skate. 
And it just, at the time it was, we were still in that. At the time it was different. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The time was different where it's, it's, the game is so much different now. Another former Bruin is sent down along with you. And I'm curious if you got to know him at all. He was an NHL veteran and I was surprised to see that he started the season in the NHL and that was Bob Beers. Yeah. I mean, I, Beers, he was, you know, I didn't know. I mean, like I said, Beers, he wasn't around when I was there the year before. So I didn't really know him that well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and there, you know, and so it was, I mean, the, the Providence was always a good team, and we were a good team down there. I mean, we had like I said, there was guys that got sent down. Like I said, Johnny Jawah was down there, and there was guys that were legitimate guys that were going to end up playing. You know, like have some pretty good careers in the NHL for sure. So whenever you do, you do see stuff like that. But what? Who was it? Was it Kyle McLaren that made the team out of there? Camp, As an eighteen-year-old, yeah, made, took Beersy spot. Maybe you know when you look at something like that. Oh, Kyle was, was a high pick. You know, so maybe he was the guy that took Beersy spot, and you know when that's going to happen. You know, you talked about talent being in the Providence Bruins organization. And it doesn't stop just with the players. The coaches there, Rob Francis especially, would go on to have a lengthy coaching career as an NHL assistant and eventually head coach the Phoenix Coyotes. What kind of coach was he, though? I like Bobby because I had known Bobby before because Bobby had coached my brother Todd. So I had actually known Bobby coached my brother Todd in Salt Lake when, when he was uh, my brother was in Calgary's farm team. Mm-hmm. And Todd had said good things about him. I like Bobby. You know, he was the fire. You know, he was he was a, he was a super intense guy, you know, which was which was good for me. You know, I needed I needed a guy that was going to be hard. I I had coaches that weren't hard on me and kind of let me get away with with stuff. He wasn't one of them. You know, and I and if if the coach did let me get away with stuff, I kind of took advantage. I took advantage, took advantage of, it. of it. So, and which obviously isn't a good good characteristic, but if I could, I would. And Bobby wouldn't let me do it. You know, because he knew he I knew I'd met him before he was even my coach. You know what I mean? So yeah, because he threw your. He knew. Yeah, so he knew who I was and what kind of player I was. So he would not let me get away with anything, which was good. Like I said, and that Cass was the same way. You know, it's the way Cass just played. You know, Cass was a hard player, and he he wanted guys to play hard for him, and didn't take any shit from anybody. So it was good. Sounds like they brought up a lot of intensity. Yep. Absolutely. You weren't down in Providence long, though, however. You were recalled in early November after Rick Tockett had incurred a shoulder injury. And you were up in the lineup against the Ottawa Senators just a few days later. Um, yep. How excited are you? to? It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the action. I'm back in the game. What was the Yeah, th- that's, what, that's when you really feel part of it, you know, and you know you're going to get a chance and you're not just going to be a call-up for the one game. I mean, like I said, that first game, I knew I was going down after the game. You know what I mean? So this, that's, was, okay. this was kind of my first chance where I knew I was going to be there for a while. And, uh, and, and then, you know, you have to produce, you know, there's, there's, they call you up for a reason. Like I said, I actually tweeted something the other day that I, when I, when I played in Columbus, Gerard Gallant said to me, uh, I dumped the puck on the power play. And mm-hmm. he said to me, he called me aside between periods. He goes, we didn't call you up to dump the puck. Do something with it. Exactly. He goes around the power play. He goes, we didn't call you up to dump the puck. So that's kind of that kind of stuck with me, you know, cause the people, I, cause I said, I love playing for him when it was kind of when him and Pete DeBoer were going back and forth. You did touch on this. Just like that, you were returned back. So the ultimate goal here, or the idea was that you were going to go up for one game and then head back down to Providence. At, not that, not at that time, because I didn't know. We didn't, I don't think they knew the severity of tox injury. Okay. You know, but that, but that was the prior, the previous time when I was up that one for that one game. Okay, so that was back in the prior year then. Ninety four, ninety five, or got whatever it, it was. Got it. So I went to Florida. Yeah. Well, this was a quick. So this was a quick one. You had just one game. Was it? Okay. You, you go back down to Providence, but then you're brought back right up again. And I was kind of curious about this because on November 14th, you returned back to the NHL and you wouldn't go back down to Providence. And this had to be a memorable game for you because you played against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You contributed with an assist and you were quoted in the Boston Globe as saying that you were the third guy high and pinched going hard to the net and got a shot off and the puck was laying there for Troy Millette. 
But what's of note to me is this, is you were matched up against Mario Lemieux's line during this game. <laughs> what do you remember about playing against one of the greatest of all time? So I know Mario a little bit now because of the coaching against him. So mm-hmm. I've known him. But it for I was more of a Gretzky guy. I mean, oh. for, for for Mario, I mean, for Mario was Mario. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's, but for me, um, it would have been that same year when I scored in Madison. I scored against the Rangers. Yep. It was that year. It was that year. I scored against the Rangers to beat the Rangers. And I took a face off against Gretzky in Madison Square Garden. That was for me. That was the highlight of my career. Like that for me. Like I played against Mario obviously a few more times because we were in the same division as them. So I played against them a couple times. I don't know how many times, but. Um, so I was obviously a big fan of his and, and I tell people all the time, cause the Yager was obviously there too, that I think one-on-one Yager was probably the toughest guy to play against just because he was so strong. So he could just could protect the puck like Mario almost when he took faceoffs against him, cause it, it wasn't a stat back then. People didn't kind of, you know, take faceoff stats. You know, people just didn't do t- face-off stats. And Mario just kind of would put his just kind of set his, especially if it was the neutral zone face-off, he would just kind of set his stick in there and really didn't care if he wanted it or not. But obviously, you know, Mario would hang out in the neutral zone. And if he got the puck, obviously good things were going to happen, you know. But from like I said, for me, it, like one-on-one Yager was, you know, Yager would go get the puck, where Mario would kind of wait for guys to get him the puck. Wow. And then he was super dangerous once he got it. Huh. Um, so he would actually, then, he was more of a guy that would sit back wait for the puck to come to him, wait for it to be fed to him, and then his hands would just kind of take it from there. Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, they knew, you know, they knew he wanted the puck, so everyone would try and get him the puck, obviously, as soon as they got it, you know, but he wouldn't be the guy that was going to go and get it, you know. That's something I had no idea about Mario, and I definitely want to touch on that Rangers game that took place, I think it was in February or March. I want to circle back on that, but just 10 days after you play against Mario Lemieux, you score your first National League hockey, uh, excuse me, you score your first National Hockey League goal, and it was against a pretty solid NHL goaltender. You beat Dominic Hashi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess yeah. you received a pass from Barry Richter. Can you kind of walk me through what you remember about that? I just, I mean, what I do remember is they went D2D because Bubba got an assist on it too because I know Ray got an assist on it too. So it was, I think they must have went, I think I'm pretty sure it was, it was a neutral zone, kind of a neutral zone regroup. And uh, Bubba got the puck, gave it to Barry, and then Barry kind of hit me between the D and I went in all alone kind of on a breakaway. And I've always, I mean, I've, I wish like the kids could listen because I just, the, I shot low stick, which is obviously where the goalie just over, just over his pad. I'm a left shot coming down that, coming down that came right down the middle of the ice. You can't really save it. If you put, if your forward hits the spot, you can't save it. It's kind of like the goal that Achari scored the other night. You know, if you, if you hit your spot, no matter how good the goalie is, they just can't save it. It just is what it just is what it is. And, you know, and I hit my spot and I, I can honestly say, so for me, it was against the Sabres. Brian Holzinger, who was another Cleveland kid, he's one of my good friends. He was there, obviously, because he played for the Sabres. So it was pretty cool, you know, because there's not a lot of kids that have come out of Cleveland. Not at all. Obviously, to play. Like, there's – really, there's just Zinger and Rupper and myself and my brother. I mean, there's a couple kids that, that are from in Ohio but not Cleveland. I mean, obviously, they're more and more now with Columbus, you know, with the Columbus kids. But back then – so it was pretty special to be against the Sabres. And Zinger was – you know, Zinger saw me score my first goal. Obviously, he had a better career than I did, but it was – you know, it was, it was pretty neat, and like I said, and like you said, you know, it was against Tasik, who arguably is probably one of the best goalies to ever play the game, and and to have Ray Bork have an assist on it too was pretty special for me, obviously. So it's like your name is surrounded by Hall of Famers in that play. Yeah, you got yeah. Bork, you got Hasek. It's pretty cool, as you said. That's awesome. Yep. And and what I, and I honestly, what I did feel like after I scored is that I if I could skate off the ice right now and never play another game because I had had a hockey card. 
And now I scored in the NHL. So I was like, especially a kid from Ohio, I was like, I've done everything that I've wanted. To yeah. Do. What more can you ask for? Everything on top of this is just gravy. Right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Around this time, I know Steve Casper had switched up the lines a little bit and put you out there with Sandy Moger and veteran Rick Tockett. What can you share about us with Rick? He's gone on to have a not only a great playing career, but a very successful coaching career. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the most intense guys I've ever met. You know, um, I would say he's he's you know he's a lot like Cam. You know, they play the same style. I mean, Tock was tough. You know, tough as nails. He was tough. You know, he was more of a fighter, I think, than than Cam was. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but just I did, all I remembered mostly about Tak was just how super intense he was. You know, he was just very, very intense guy. You're young at that point. I mean, probably 22, 23 years old. Does a guy like him who's been in the league for a while kind of take you under under his wing, or does anybody kind of look out for you like that? Yeah, and that's what OT did. You know what I mean? One of the, I think maybe it might have even been when I first got sent down. There might have even been a quote in the paper that OT stuck up for. Kind of was like, I don't know what more this kid could have done or something. I can't remember the exact story or the exact article. But, you know, OT... In college, it was Nelson Emerson who kind of did that for sure, me. Sure, long-time then, NHLer. Yeah, and then, um, and then, like I said, Oatsy kind of had my back in Boston for sure. It seemed like the team was loaded with younger guys, so I'm sure there were other veterans helping other guys out. There was Andre Waugh, Steve Steos. Was there anyone that you became particularly close with or, or that you bonded with off the ice? I mean, heck, where were you even living at the time? Were you at the hotel? <laughs> so that's the funny story. I tell people that all the time. They're like, where did you live when you played in, in Boston? I, so... It's the funny, so the crazy story is I lived in Norwood because I didn't know where I was going to be, if I was going to be in Providence or Boston. So it's like right in the middle. Right in the middle, yeah. And I lived in John Gruden's basement. Glamorous. Because Grudge was, and Grudge, and obviously it sucked for him because I was getting up and going driving to Boston and he was driving to Providence. He's going to Providence every day. Sorry, bud. Thanks for the room, though. So, um, but Mulger and I became pretty tight when, Though that year that I was in Boston, because I had known Mogs because he played at Lake State when I played at Bowling Green, so I I'd known him from college actually. So Sandy and I became pretty tight friends. Very cool. <clears throat> so the glamorous NHL life, you're living in a basement, and you're at the American <laughs> yeah. Hockey League now for about a month or so. Let's talk about what kind of some of the differences are between the NHL and the AHL. What were some of the things you noticed difference between the two leagues? Well, obviously the difference is that, you know, the, the travel is obviously totally different. You know, it's obviously you're on planes instead of buses and, and eating it, staying at the best hotels, you know, staying at Carl, Ritz Carlton's and those kind of places instead of staying at Marriott or whatever. And, and, and the big thing, you know, was um, kind of the way that you didn't have three and three, you know what I mean? Three or three games in two and a half days, you know, those were, those were, tough so it was spread you know? out a little bit more yeah the schedule spread out a little bit more because like i said those three games in two and a half days or three days on a bus getting in late you know it's a big brutal. it's a big difference for sure yeah definitely brutal for sure but was the hockey itself was it actually similar or was it just way different in the sense of there's just so much more talent at the nhl level for a skill guy like me it was easier to play in the nhl than it was to play in the minors why is that because everyone's better you know what I mean? And everything, you know, it's funny because I say, I see this when I go, you'll, you'll see a guy that'll get sent down mm-hmm. and it takes him about two or three practices before he comes down to the level of everybody else. For those first two or three days of practice, you can tell he just came from the NHL cause he's flying and it's just, it's, I, I don't know if it's just human nature, but you can just tell that the guy just got sent down. So guys almost slow their game down in order yep. to fit in at the yep. AHL level. And yep. it just progressively, so from college to the AHL to the NHL, just progressively just gets a little bit faster and a little bit better yep. each one? Yep, 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 because the pyramid just gets smaller. 
Yeah, it makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. I just, for some reason, I always wondered if the AHL was actually faster in certain ways because the guys are just so much younger. I think for, like I said, I think for skill guys, it's just easier to play in the NHL because everyone is so skilled. You pass you know? the puck. But more, yeah. Yeah. but more of a guy that's, you know, the guy that's a third line guy or it's, it, if you, it's just, it's just harder for them to play. You know, it's just harder. I had such a great time talking to Brett during part one of this interview. And part two is just as good. He, he talks a lot more about Adam Oates. He talks more about Bubba. Of course, Bubba, if you aren't familiar with that nickname, it's for Ray Bork, who, of course, was a team captain. We talked about him, and Brett mentioned him. So I think everybody will enjoy part two. Make sure you tune in then. I want to thank Brett again, and I hope that his Boston Bruins continue to roll and that he's able to get a Stanley Cup ring if the Bruins are able to go all the way. And I know he plays a pretty intricate part on that. He does the college scouting for the Boston Bruins currently. And I definitely think they have a chance to go all the way. I, I watched the Columbus Blue Jackets versus Boston Bruins last night. Was really impressed with Boston. Couldn't believe that Zdeno Chara got flattened along the boards. But man, I, I really do hope that Boston wins. And I think the NHL does too. Because if not, the Eastern Conference Finals are going to be the Columbus Blue Jackets versus the Carolina Hurricanes. And don't get me wrong, hats off to Carolina, hats off to Columbus if they're able to make it. But I don't think those are the biggest media markets in the country by far. But anyways, there's still lots of hockey left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to join us for part two of our interview with Brett. That'll drop Thursday at 8 a.m. In the meantime, please follow us on social media at Snapshots and Hockey History on Facebook and at Snapshots in on Twitter. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see you on Thursday for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History.